Well, we are in the first week of a brand new series, and it has a weird title. The, the ser- our series, ha- I've titled it Dead Man Walking. Now, that phrase we're probably all familiar with and understand where that came from, the history of that phrase. But just as a reminder that that phrase has been used for, for centuries. And really what it was, what that phrase is, it's to describe someone who is incarcerated for a capital offense. And that idea of dead man walking is something that would be shouted as, as that person would be making their final walk from their jail cell to the execution chamber. And usually down that hallway, so as they walk down that hallway there, and a lot of times passing other cells, you would hear that phrase ring out throughout the whole entire jail. Dead man walking. Dead man walking. First time I heard that was um, in the Tom Hanks movie with uh, Michael Clark Dunk. Uh, and just, I remember hearing it that, and it makes sense. They know where they're going, and they're literally a dead man walking. And the reason I want to call this series that title and using that phrase is I think that that phrase, dead man walking, is actually a very appropriate way to describe the incarnate life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Think about that for a moment. Jesus' death on the cross was so eminent, it was so certain. It was so real, and it so defined the life that it loomed over everything that Jesus did. Every miracle that Jesus performed, every act of kindness that he performed, everything that Jesus taught, everything that Jesus said, it was done in the shadow of the cross. Every step Jesus took, it took him one step closer to Jerusalem. Every step that Jesus took, it took him one step closer to that execution chamber. And it would have been very appropriate throughout Jesus' life to hear that phrase, dead man walking. And the reality is this, he did not even try to hide that from anybody. He didn't try to even hide it from his disciples. He, he reminded them over and over and over again. Maybe they didn't really understand it in that time, but he reminded them that he was this dead man walking that he was moving towards the cross. Matthew was one of his disciples who heard Jesus talking about this. And when, and when Matthew wrote his gospel, he recorded some of those times that he remembers Jesus talking about this. And I just want to read a few of these times that Matthew recorded as he remembered this idea. Matthew 16 um, It says this, from the time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day to be raised to life. Matthew writes in chapter 17, he says, when they came Together in Galilee, he said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. And again, we, we read in Matthew 20, 
And it says, now Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. And on the way, he took the 12 aside and he said to them, where we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And on that third day, he will be raised to life. So there's a few examples of Matthew recording what he remembered as he reflected on the life of Jesus and the things that he was telling them. But unlike someone on death row, Jesus' impending death was not the result of any criminal activity that he um, engaged in or committed. He actually committed no capital offense. In fact, to be honest, he had committed no offense at all. It was the result of offenses of others. It was a result of your offense, of my offense. See, he wasn't walking towards the execution chamber to bear the judgment of his own sins. He was walking towards the cross to bear the judgment for our sins. He was a dead man walking by choice. No one forced him into this. He gave it up willingly. He was a dead man walking by choice. Every step he took towards the cross was motivated by love. So in these six weeks leading up to Easter, we're going to actually retrace the steps of Jesus on his way to the cross. From his baptism all the way to his triumphal entry. And we're going to look at six defining moments in the life and the ministry of Jesus. And as we do that, as we journey to the cross, it reminds us that we too are on a journey as well. That if we are followers of Jesus, that we too are dead men or dead women walking. Ourself. Our old self has died And we've been raised to life, a new life in Christ. And this Lenten season, it's a great time to think about how we can continue to die to self. And to live out this new life that is ours in Christ Jesus. It's it's also a great time during this Lenten season to think about what habits or what attitudes or what behaviors do we need to lay down in order to experience the new life that is ours in Christ? Or maybe instead, it's what habits or attitudes or behaviors that we need to actually pick up that we can better live out this life that is ours in Christ Jesus. So we begin this journey right at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry journey. And we're going to be looking at the baptism of Jesus And we're going to see what Matthew says in his gospel. And we're going to be in Matthew 3 today as we look at the baptism of Jesus. And we're going to see what his baptism might be able to teach us or remind us of what's important in our life here today. So join me in Matthew chapter 3. And we're going to start in verse 13. And it says this. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John, he tried to deter him, saying, I 
I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? And Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then, God, then John consented. And as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that very moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. And with him I am well pleased. I think the baptism of Jesus reminds us of three things that are important. As we die to self and as we live out this new life that is ours in Christ Jesus. The first thing it reminds us is this. We need to make Jesus the hero. This is what I, I, I see this is what I see in his baptism, that we need to make Jesus the hero. In order to understand Jesus' baptism, you also have to understand what was going on in that culture at that time. In the culture of Palestine, it was under the military and political occupation of Rome. What you have to understand is that every movement of every day was really governed by Rome. See, the moral decay that was prevalent in the rest of the Roman Empire was permeating Palestine at this time. People were walking away from their faith. Religious institutions were seen as irrelevant and corrupt. The religious leaders of that day, they they were self-righteous and they were desperate to cling on to the powers that they actually had left. And in this broken culture, God raises up this weird guy named John. Now, we're not going to talk a lot about John here today, but I do want to remind you of him. He lived this very isolated life out in the desert, only wore clothes that were made of camel hair, and had this weird diet that was solely made up of locusts and wild honey. Imagine that diet. What John does in the midst of this is that he actually starts calling people to repentance. He began calling people to recognize and look at what was going on inside of them and to repent of the way they were actually living their life out. He baptized them. And his baptism, it was a baptism of repentance. So so John began doing this and he was also doing something else as well we are told that he also was preparing the way for Jesus. In verse 11, he says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. See, he's saying I'm preparing the way for someone better than me. Someone more powerful than me. Someone that his baptism will be way more significant and way more impactful than mine. John understood in this broken, sinful culture in which, he was, in which he was in, he understood that his role at that time wasn't trying to save this broken, sinful world. That he understood that his role was to point people to the one who could save this broken, sinful world. 
And to be honest, in many ways, I think we are like John the Baptist. That we cannot change a person's heart, no matter how, how much we think we can. We cannot transform a person's life. We cannot do what Jesus did and what he does. John understood that. And we need to understand the same thing. That we can only point people to the one who can transform. How do we do that, though? Like, how do we do that? Well, basically, I think the same way that John did, to be honest. We do it with our words. And we do it with our actions. John used his words to call people to repentance. He used his words to remind people the things that needed to change in their life. And he did more than just use his words. He also baptized them. He did something tangible that allowed them to physically experience the work of God in their life. But here's the thing. Every time we are the hands and the feet of Jesus, every time we are the body of Christ, every time we stop to pick someone up who has fallen along the way, every time we show compassion, if this is all done in Jesus' name, the great thing about it, it does not point people to us. Instead, it points people to Jesus. When we do it the right way, when we do it the way that we've been called to do all that, it does not point back to us, but instead it points to Jesus. It does not make us the Savior. It points people to the Savior, It does not make us the hero. It points people to the hero. See, what we're seeing is that this this baptism reminds us about the importance of making Jesus the hero. Because if we can do that, if we can live in that space, it actually frees us from thinking that we can somehow change someone's heart. That we can somehow transform someone's life. But here's the thing. You cannot change your spouse's heart. You cannot change your kid's heart. You cannot change your grandkid's heart. You can't change your friend's heart. And here's the thing. I don't care how deep your love is for them. You cannot change their heart. All that you can do is do what John did. All you can do, all that we can do, is prepare the way for the Lord. In the words that you speak and the things that you do and the way that you react to situations or people, the way you respond to things is how you can prepare the way for Jesus. And my question is this. Are you preparing the way for Jesus? Are you preparing the way for people around you to be connected to Jesus by the words that you speak, by the actions you live out, by the habits and the attitudes and the behaviors that you exhibit, by the way you react, by the way you respond? If you are honest, the way that you're living right now, are you actually preparing the way for Jesus to come 
and to make an impact in these people's lives. So we're reminded that we need to make Jesus the hero. It is not about us. It never is about us. And it will never be about us. We are not writing our own story. God is the one writing our story for us. And we need to understand that and live in that and understand our role. The same way that John understood his role. So we need to make Jesus the hero. Another thing that Jesus' baptism can remind us about is this, that you can stand in someone's place. You can stand in someone's place. As Jesus is preparing to begin his ministry, he does something completely and totally unexpected. It would have been unexpected to the crowds that were there, and especially would have been unexpected to John. And, he did, and, and we are reminded this in verse 13. It says, Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. Here's why that would have been so unexpected. Everybody knew, and especially John, that his baptism was a sign of repentance. That for the person who was being baptized, it was a way of saying, I know that there's sin in my life. I know I need to repent of that sin. I know I need to experience the cleansing work of God. So everyone that was being baptized by John, that's what they were saying in their baptism. That's why baptizing Jesus didn't make any sense to John because John knows that Jesus doesn't have anything to repent of. And that's why John responded the way he did in verse 14. He says, I need to be baptized by you. Not the other way around. In other words, John is saying this, wait a minute, wait a minute here, wait a minute. I'm the one with sin here. I'm the one that needs to repent. I'm the one that needs to experience the cleansing work of God. You don't need to be baptized by me, but I need to be baptized by you. And John is implying that Jesus is standing in the place that he should be standing in, and that John was standing in the place that Jesus should have been in. Their, their roles, in John's eyes, should have been reversed. That Jesus was standing in the place where John should have been standing in, in that water, as he came in to be baptized. And how does Jesus respond? As, as John says, it's, it's, we got to reverse this, because I should be standing in your place right there in the water. And you should be baptizing me. And Jesus responds this way. He said, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. In other words, Jesus is saying this, John, you know what? You're right. You are right. I am indeed standing in your place. And I should be standing in your place. I'm the one that should be baptizing you. But I'm not just standing in your place today, though, John. The reason I came to earth was to stand in your place. I came to earth to live the righteous life that you and nobody else could fulfill and live out. I came to stand in your place. Jesus came to stand in your place. He's saying out of this, he says, I came to earth to pay the price for your unrighteousness and the unrighteousness of everyone that would ever be able 
so that you would never be able to pay that. You wouldn't be able to pay that. I've come to pay that. I came to stand in your place of judgment. Jesus' baptism was a reminder that the reason he came to earth was to stand in our place, to take on himself that which was rightly ours to bear. He came to enter into our death so that we could enter into his life. It reminds us that he took on that which was ours so that we could take on that which was his. And as followers of Jesus, we can't take upon ourselves the sins of the world. Only Jesus can do that. But in small ways, in small ways, we can stand in someone's place. Like when you journey with someone who's experiencing serious health issues or disabilities, and you're willing to walk with them, no matter where the journey takes them or even you. And if you do that, you are saying, I'm standing in your place. You are not going to go through this alone. I know this is your burden, but I'm going to share that burden you are dealing with. Every time you are an advocate for someone who may not have the voice to advocate for themselves and you are willing to take on their issues, what you are saying is, I'm standing in your place. You are not going to face this alone. See, we live in a culture that is dominated by the idea of standing up for one's own rights. And there's really nothing wrong with that, right? We hear that, it's like, well, this is my right, and I'm going to stand up and I'm going to fight for it because it's my right. But if we look at the life of Jesus, that is really not the model of Jesus, is it? Jesus did not stand up for his rights. In fact, we are told Jesus laid down all of his rights. He gave up all of his rights. He gave up his right and his place in heaven to come to earth. Why did he do that? He did it so he could advocate for you. He did it so he could stand up for you. He did it to say, I'm going to enter into the things you are dealing with. That every time you offer forgiveness to those who hurt you, and you let go of the desire to hurt them back, which is really what the essence of forgiveness is all about. When you do that, you are saying, I am willing to stand in your place. I'm willing to bear that pain that is rightfully yours to bear. So we are reminded of Jesus coming and standing in our place. He received our death. He received our judgment. He stood in our place so we wouldn't have to bear that. And we can stand in other people's place as we journey with them, as we walk with them. And we're reminded of that here in Jesus' baptism. And, and lastly, the baptism of Jesus reminds us to embrace the blessing. It reminds us to embrace the blessing. It's interesting to note that right after the baptism of Jesus is the temptation of Jesus. And we'll get more into that next week. And the reason I pointed it now is because sometimes it's easy for us to think that if you're striving to live a good life, that somehow life will automatically, somehow magically get easier. The assumption is that if you're living a good life, then good things will always happen. And we think the opposite of that as well, right? 
We think that when difficulties and conflict come, we immediately think it's because of something that we've done wrong. But one of the things that Jesus' baptism reminds us of is that after the baptism, there's always a battle. In fact, the more sold out you are for Jesus, the more battles and conflicts you will face. Think about it. Jesus lived a life that was perfectly pleasing to the Father. And where does it lead? Well, first, it leads to a desert. And then, after that, it leads to a cross. Which is why the final two verses of this passage are so important. It says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, this is my Son, whom I love. And with him, I am well pleased. See, at his baptism, Jesus receives this threefold blessing from the Father. The Father says, you are my child. I love you, and I am pleased with you. John reminds us in his gospel that when we put our faith in Christ, we too become children of God. In fact, he says this in John chapter 1. He says, yet to all who did receive him, To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Which means this. The blessing that Jesus received at his baptism is the exact same blessing that all of us who follow Jesus receive as well. Our Heavenly Father says this. And I don't want you to forget this. You are my child. I am love you, and I am pleased with you. You are my child. I love you, and I am pleased with you. And you know what, to be honest, I think it's that third one, I think that most of us, it's the hardest for us to embrace. That idea of someone being pleased with us. What would change? What would be different about the way you would live out your baptism if you would walk in that blessing on a daily basis? What would change if every time something didn't go according to plan, didn't work out the way you thought it would, instead of immediately assuming um, it was because of something you had done wrong, but instead, in those moments, you heard your Heavenly Father say, you are my child, I love you, and I am pleased with you. What would change if every time the enemy came alongside of you and whispered into your your ear, you are not a child of God. And you're not a child of God because a child of God wouldn't do that. A child of God wouldn't say that. A child of God wouldn't treat someone like that. What if every time the enemy whispered that, that voice was drowned out by the voice of your heavenly father saying, you are my child. I love you and I am pleased with you. 
what would change? You know what would change? Everything. Everything would change. So I beg you, hold on to these words. If you are a follower of Jesus today, hold on to those words because those are for you. That's your blessing. That's your identity. That's what you have in Christ. Hold on to that. Live out of that blessing. Do not let the world drown that out. Because the only thing that will satisfy your heart is hearing those words from the Father. You are my child. I love you. And I am pleased with you. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the life of your Son. We look forward to the journey that we're going to take over these next six weeks just to look at some of these significant moments that took place. Thank you for what the baptism of Jesus reminds us today of how we need to die to ourself and live out the new life that is ours in Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray that we take these promises and these truths here today and we hold on to them dearly. That we live out of these truths. We live out of these blessings here today. And I pray that during this season of Lent, if there's an attitude, a habit, a behavior that we need to lay down so that, so that we can actually live out the life that is ours in Christ Jesus, show us what that is. Or maybe it's a habit, an attitude, or behavior that we actually need to pick up so we can live out the life that is ours in Christ Jesus. Reveal that to us as well. We thank you for the sending your son. We thank you for the hope and the freedom that we have in him. We pray all of this in your name. Amen.